the, the traits when you look at flour, of course, the freshness of the flour, how long has it been sitting on the shelf, the bud structure. Are you getting these baby buds or nice solid buds? Are you just throwing me everything that you have? Or are you actually doing some quality control in there? Um, they definitely like the colors. Mm-hmm. I think that's always a plus, but it's not a, a, a must. Um, I, I like that. I'm going to add that. A plus <laughs> that's a nice ring to it. I like that one. Um, this is Lit and Lucid, your after work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products and get cozy Cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here recording another episode of the show. Today, joining us is Jesse Horton. He is the CEO of Loud Cannabis. Loud is an award-winning cannabis company that embodies the art of urban craft cultivation in the Pacific Northwest. Jesse's educational background is in engineering, but as a horticulturist by passion, led Jesse to founding Loud. Jesse is also the co-founder of the Minority Cannabis Business Association, the first and largest nonprofit organization developed to create equal access and economic empowerment for cannabis businesses, patients, and the communities most affected by the war on drugs. We are super excited to have Jesse join us today to share us more about the passion for the plant. With that, welcome, Jesse. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be on the podcast. I appreciate it. Totally. Yeah. And thanks for joining us, Jesse. Uh, you know, we're stoked to have you on. But before we get into loud and find out, you know, how that whole thing got started, let's find out, you know, a little bit more about yourself. You know, where did your journey with cannabis start? Um, yeah. So um, actually, uh, it started kind of before I was born. My father spent about um, four years of a seven year sentence in prison uh, for, for cannabis possession uh, before I was born. And, you know, as a result, he got out of prison, had the felony and had to start off as a janitor at his company and just work his way up. So when I was born, um, we moved around pretty much every two years to his next position, trying to rise up in the company. I didn't meet um, I didn't find cannabis until I was about 15 years old. As a result of him being in prison uh, for cannabis, he did everything he could to keep me away from it. Uh, Ultimately, I ended up, you know, loving the plant and, and consuming on a regular basis. Unfortunately, I uh, found myself with a couple of uh, arrests as well. And, um, you know, kind of after that, found my way into engineering and then to, to cannabis professionally once I moved to Portland. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more, because I did see that your background is in engineering and you had a pretty good job at Siemens working in, you know, Germany and making your way over to Amsterdam on the weekend. So tell us a little bit more how, you know, that educational background and then you shifted over to Loud. How did that all evolve? Wow. Yeah. You know, um, I think essentially I was dealing with what a lot of people uh, deal with in this world is just, you know, being in a profession and just hating your job and, you know, just having the constant feeling each and every day that there has to be something more than this. Right. And then kind of also you hear a lot about, you know, find your passion. And if you find your passion, you won't work a day in your life, whatever. Right. As the cliche goes. (laughs) 
So um, I was in that period of really just not loving my job, even though I was very successful. It seemed very odd to me that, man, I'm super successful, but I'm really not enjoying this. And I just feel like there has to be more. I feel like I'm wasting, you know, part of my my skills and, and my passions. And at the time, cannabis, you know, was the only thing that I, I honestly, I could say I really loved um, that I was so interested in. And, you know, how do you grow in the different strains? You know, not just love it from an effect standpoint, but from an intellectual standpoint, the you know, the potentials of the plant. So, you know, um, I kind of had a, you know, a moment where when I went to Germany, I was very um, a little depressed and was spending a lot of time in Amsterdam and still didn't think about it. Luckily, was offered the position in Portland to come back to the U.S. And, um, you know, just out of the love for it, went and got a clone and, and you know, and put it in my backyard and, Next, I went and got a light and put it in my basement. And, you know, that I found my love finally. So that was a pretty easy decision uh, once I once I was able to find cannabis from a legal standpoint and that I was in Portland and I couldn't get arrested for having a plant. I would have never done that on the East Coast where I was from. So I was lucky um, in, in a lot of ways. That's pretty fun. You know, to you know, we we certainly have uh, experienced that of like, you know, why do we join cannabis? And it's because it's like, it's, it's interesting. It's fun. It really has like this aura about it. And I liked how you talked about, you know, the intellectual side of cannabis, uh, cause that's something that not a lot of people get to experience, but there's a lot like the depth of cannabis is like insane and uh, you could really get into it and especially on the cultivation side. So I think that's pretty cool that, you know, you went that route of explored, you know, the cultivation side, because, you know, not just in, you know, it's basic terms of that's where, where it all starts, but really I think, the, you know, the growers and the people who cultivate it that I speak to really understand the plant more than anybody else I've ever spoken with. And so I think just to understand, you know, the intellectual side of it, that's probably anybody who has that experience, I think, comes out the other side just having this really great uh, understanding and appreciation for cannabis as a plant. Would you agree with that? Yeah, honestly, 100 percent. And I was that, that that's another way that I was lucky. I, I you know, like most people, when they find the industry they want to have a retail um, facility wanted to have a dispensary and even though at that time I was growing and loving it I still thought that I had to have a retail facility I had to have a dispensary and I was searching and searching and searching and you know getting help and trying to find something and putting in offers um, to buy places on contract um, and nothing would work um, until I was able to find a cultivation space and grow uh, from my basement and everything went from there. And I'm just very, very thankful and lucky that I found cultivation as my primary profession and, you know, spent the years of grinding in the industry in the grow room. Um, Because I think that, you know, first of all, that's, that's where my skills, uh, you know, provide the most value in engineering and process development and energy efficiency um, but also, I think it is definitely an extremely advantageous place to to start in the industry and to know it back and forth puts you, um, you know, puts you at an advantage to, to people who don't. I agree with that. Yeah, I just quickly browsed over your website and I love just, you know, the words that you use and you talk about, you know, genetics and you like quickly kind of frame it back towards like, you know, we're all familiar with it as like strains. But I like how you intertwine like you know, the actual terminology that goes into this and some would term it like, you know, the legacy growers can like speak this language versus like this mainstream stuff that we're all used to today. I like that you're finding a way to kind of bridge the gap, but also keep like that, 
like that talk around it because it's really important to understand, you know, what actually goes into this. And it's not just, you know, this stuff that, you know, dispensaries will sell to us or whatever is popular, whatever is easy to sell to customer. Um, I like that you incorporate like the realness into it. Uh, but I want to backtrack a little bit and kind of talk about, you know, you, you starting this whole company and like overcoming, you know, adversity. And that's usually like a big theme of our show is just talking to, I mean, adversity is everywhere. And so, you know, everybody has like a great story, but especially yours. And we read somewhere that you made over 2000 phone calls to investors when you started loud. And, and, you know, that's incredible. That is like some commitment and some passion, you know, and talk to us a little bit about, you know, what you saw and why you were so, you know, uh, you know, forward with, you know, wanting to make this happen. So, um, yeah, so when I was in Germany, I, you know, I, before going there, I read The Alchemist and just started thinking about, wow, you know, maybe committing myself to something, maybe the universe, the idea of, of doing that. And, um, you know, after I went to Germany and I spent time in Amsterdam, you know, thinking about that a lot and what was happening, got lucky to come to Portland. Um, I think, you know, a lot of what drives me is the fact that, um, you know, I, I think the universe is opening up this opportunity for me and I have an obligation, I think, in a lot of ways to, to do my best and to do it with sincerity and, you know, continue to watch what the universe continues to do. You know, and I, I think that's what I've been doing for the last nine years. And, um, you know, that's what what uh, continues to, to drive me. Right. Because every time I do it, every time I focus not on the on the, the glamour not on the talking about the articles I'm in, not on people thinking I'm cool. Every time I think about focusing on something that will really bring value to the market, something that will bring value to customers, retailers, um, communities, and I just focus on working on that, things just happen, you know? So I, it, it's been a constant, um, you know, a constant motivation, you know, it, it, you, as an entrepreneur, especially in this industry, is a lot of ups and downs, you know, a lot of eating ramen noodles and, you know, you know, not eating at all when I first started growing. Um, so I, I think that's probably the main thing. Um, but without a doubt, the thing that started me at first is me quitting my job and not having any money and figuring out, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I can't go back to work after telling everybody I quit this, you know, big job, this, you know, great job that I had. You know, I had to save face, I think, in a lot of ways. So that was probably the first two years was saving face. And then, you know, after that was, you know, me trusting the universe and just working as hard as I could. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that story. And kind of piggybacking on that, I was reading that, you know, you talked to over 2000 investors and they all told you no. And then it turned out that your first investor was your father. So like, how did that feel for that whole thing to kind of come full circle for the both of you? You know, he was incarcerated for cannabis and now he's investing in his son's legal cannabis company. Like, how did that all feel? Uh, that was another universe moment, without a doubt. Um, you know, when I'm, I'm reaching out to investors and, you know, attending at, at the time, um, Oregon was regulating medical cannabis, uh, House Bill 3460, I believe it was called. So um, when I was supposed to be making sales calls, I was actually going down to Salem and sitting in those rooms and trying to talk to as many people as I could and, you know, trying to find real estate and trying to find investors and calling all those investors and, um, you know, not having any success. And, you know, that was one of those moments where I went in with all sincerity. I was, I put on my suit and tie when, you know, no one in Oregon wears a suit and tie period. 
Uh, for some reason, I thought that was appropriate um, <laughs> just to do my best to put in everything that I could. Right. I didn't want anything to be left on the table. So I, I did that. I spent time in Salem and one thing happened after another. And when I couldn't find any investors or couldn't find any way to grow, um, my dad said, hey, you know, I, I'll put up thirty five thousand. And I think it was 30, actually. And he also introduced me to many of his retiree friends from State Farm, other black um, black professionals Mm -hmm. who kind of had stuck together through their time at at State Farm. So um, that was definitely what ultimately launched everything for me. And it was again, it was a a universe moment to say, okay, you got to keep going. That's pretty cool. The more I kind of hear your story, I'm like, you're literally like a, a book being written in progress because this is a pretty incredible story, really. And, and, you know, you keep mentioning the universe and that's what it really sounds like to me is that there's a lot of these pieces and parts that really sound improbable. But once you hear it happen, it's like, you know, that's a fucking wonderful story, really. And it, and especially for your father, I think, and what he had to experience and, and what a lot of people are still experiencing. I think that he probably has a motivator behind it, too, of like, you know, we need to change the narrative and we need to put our best foot forward to make this legal. And, uh, you know, I'm so I'm sure for him to see, to watch you, you know, put all this work into and try to do it right and, and do it for the people. I think it probably makes him proud too. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I think my dad has a lot less activists and it's surprising because, you know, his life was affected a lot more than mine, um, from the war on drugs. He has less, he doesn't really talk to me much about, I know he's proud, but I think he's more proud of the fact that I committed myself to something, right? And that, that I'm I'm hiring friends and family and that I'm um, I'm doing my best and that, you know, I'm, I'm being successful. I think without a doubt uh, for him, it's probably the idea of maybe my life was going in the wrong direction. And now, you know, it is going in the right direction. Um, and him thinking, you know, cannabis uh, was the cause of both. That's pretty cool. Well, let's dive into loud a little bit more. I know, you know, even just online, we're not in Portland, but I know there's been a lot of buzz online about loud. So I know it's becoming a lot more popular. So tell us a little bit more about what it stands for and what makes you guys different than other cultivations in the area. That makes me excited. I'm, I'm really so happy to hear um, and so happy to see how loud is really caught on. Um, essentially, you know, what it is, is just I'm a stoner, you know, and everyone who I've worked with and everyone who's on the company, we're all stoners, but we're all very successful. We're all very driven and we're all uh, very uh, focused on, you know, exhibiting our integrity as as much as we possibly can and kind of flipping that narrative, um, you know, on its head about how people have seen stoners or people who consume cannabis in the past. I even had one interview or one uh, article that came out and they said, you know, they were, they were talking about all the things that I've done and my background. And they said, you know, and he and he likes cannabis, but he's not a stoner. And I had to reach out to him and say, yes, <laughs> I, I, am. I don't know why that but was necessary. Um, but, you know, that's what loud is about. It's about a true stoner's culture, seeking out the best cannabis, loving the plant. Um, honoring the industry, but I, I think more than anything, honoring the legacy of, of cannabis, right? And the fact that um, now, similar to that article, some of our, our culture and our ways and the things that we love have, have seen or have become taboo. I think when you look at mainstream society, now cannabis is a part of mainstream society. Now we're taboo. And I think uh, loud is about, you know, first and foremost, the acronym is Love Our Weed Daily or Love Oregon love Weed Daily. So it's about stoners who really consume on a daily basis and are very 
discerning of, of how they select their cannabis, but also in all of our imagery and our marketing and the way that we talk, um, it's very much uh, focused on ensuring that that legacy flag um, is, is waved high in this new era of legalization that we continue to be, um, you know, continue to represent that as, as truly as we possibly can. I love that. I mean, we're flower consumers. So, I mean, here in Colorado, we talk about it a lot that, you know, the flower gets moved to the wayside. Like nobody wants to talk about the flower or who grew it or how it was grown or really anything like that. It's all like, oh, give me a vape pen and an edible. And we're really passionate about flower and I'm passionate about farmers. So I, I love what you're doing. And I'm glad that you guys are keeping that passion alive. And I know Oregon's different because um, even like if you're a co-brander or something, it says like who's cultivating the flower if it's like in a vape pen or something like that. And that doesn't happen here in Colorado. So I feel like the culture out there is still, you know, more of a legacy culture, like you said, like stoners and like you guys really do care about your flower and how it was cultivated and who grew it. Interesting. No, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about Colorado. I don't know if it's just, you know, it's, you know, thinking back to like how I used to get weed and we, it would all come from like the West Coast. We'd be so stoked to have like some Cali sour tea or something. And, and maybe it's just part of that, that there wasn't a lot of, you know, cultivators in Colorado. So there's not that culture like ingrained in, but really, you know, it's good to see the West Coast hold it down. And that's what we've always tried to like pull more of that, you know, legacy, kind of the, the culture from the West Coast and, and plant it here in Colorado because it is important. You know, that's where literally anything you're consuming that's cannabis starts at a cultivator. And so the very first thing you could tell if it's quality or not is does a cultivator talk about their weed or don't they? And uh, and so if the cultivator ain't talking about their weed, probably ain't very good or there's something wrong with it versus, you know, people who are like loud like this and like proud of what they're growing. And you guys actually put the passion back into it and you guys care about, you know, strains and cultivars and, and you know, what it's all consumed for. And um, that makes us happy because I think that's what more people want. And I think that's what more people need really is just that connection back to the source of where it's all grown. Because I used to work at a cultivation, man, and those are the hardest working motherfuckers in this whole industry. And like no disrespect to anybody else that, you know, a dispensary or a manufacturer or, you know, any ancillary businesses, but goddamn, man, farm work, working in a cultivation, uh, it's, it's a lot of work that you're literally getting your hands dirty and, and it takes, you know, it takes a lot. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, um, we cultivate for people like you. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people are, and understandably, you know, um, when they come into a market, they don't understand the market all the way. Um, the traditional market, there's a lot of old ways in that traditional market of those traditional consumers that are hard to adapt to if you're a new company or a company that doesn't understand it. So naturally, the path of least resistance is going to be to go after the newer mm -hmm. uh, smokers, right? The newer consumers, which there are more of them. So I, I understand that from a business point, business standpoint. But I mean, honestly, that's not what I know. And that's not who we are. And that's not who, you know, we represent, who we make decisions for. So it's easy for us to, to double down on people like you and other consumers who are very discerning, who care about flour, who care about who grew it. Um, because honestly, those are the people who are setting the trends and the people who are coming after, right. And just wanting to smoke, whatever is there, they're listening to the bud tender. Who's probably a stoner like us. So I think, you know, we're, we're doubling down on people like you and me because, um, you know, we see that most other companies are, are going in the opposite direction. 
What are some trends that you see consumers like looking for? Because I know we've also been talking about the fact that a lot of people are just shopping by potency nowadays or like what's the best deal on an ounce or things like that. Like what do you see people that really care about flour looking for? Oh, definitely. Um, so our, our customers are typically, um, they know genetics. Mm-hmm. So they know what genetics have worked for them, what genetics they really like, they really enjoy over years. So when you see crosses of these genetics or crosses with new genetics, right, they, they, they follow genetics and they know what the plans are. So that's starting at the very beginning that, you know, they're discerning. They know what's happening. They know what to expect when you cross different genetics, right? Oh, this is the smell from this. This looks similar to this. So, um, you know, I think that they first look for the best genetics. They want new genetics. They want, you know, the new thing. They want to see where the industry is going. Then second, I mean, it's the the traits when you look at flour, of course, the freshness of the flour. How long has it been sitting on the shelf? The bud structure, are you getting these baby buds or nice solid buds? Are you just throwing me everything that you have? Or are you actually doing some quality control in there? Um, they definitely like the colors. Mm-hmm. I think that's always a plus, but it's not a, a, a must. Um, I, I like that. I'm going to add that. A plus <laughs> that's a, plus. a nice ring to it. I, <laughs> I like that one. Um, also, uh, they definitely, I mean, the smell, without a doubt, the smell, the aromas, the uniqueness of that, the potency, not just in potency numbers, usually... The most discerning customers, especially here in Oregon, are not looking at numbers. I think those are the people who are trying to be the most discerning or they want they're kind of pretentious a little bit in that way. I think the most discerning customers want to see, you know, a quality number. Right. But um, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're we just sold out of a 17 percent flour and we're you know, we have 29 percent flour and 32 percent flowers on the you know, on the menu. And people are going crazy over the 17 percenters. So um, I, I think it has a lot to do with what, you know, when they smoke it, do they want to smoke it again? Mm-hmm. And I think that's essentially how we select our cultivars as we're going through hundreds and hundreds of cultivars every year, trying to find out what we think is really the one or what we really want to bring to market. What's good enough. The way that we judge, of course, we look at all those things. We select them, what we grow based on what the genetics are, right? Just like any other smoker out there, right? It's the same exact process. When we see the plant, we see how it's growing. What's that bud structure? The one thing that we may select more than what the customer knows is how does that plant grow? Does it stretch? Is it short? You know, does it meet our growing qualifications, right? To fit in our system, Mm -hmm. but everything else is selected based on what, on what those consumers are, are ultimately wanting. And, and, if it comes down to it, once we have all these jars there and all these things pass most of those tests, what we say is as we're sitting around and we're just hanging out, what does somebody say they want to smoke? Hey, we want to smoke. What do you want? Get that. Smoke this. Smoke that. And if we know that it we're constantly going after something that's there is similar, we know that we're pretty confident that once we put it in the market, it's going to do well. That's pretty dope. That's probably one of the most like comprehensive breakdowns yeah. of like, you know, what's smokable and what's not and how you guys select stuff. Yeah. So that's how you know that shit's real. That's how you know, like, you're the realist. And I almost want to cut out that little bit of where you said, you know, you guys are sold out of that 17% because I used to work in sales and I used to have like these hard nose dispensary owners and tell me, 
you know, oh, you, you know, I don't take anything below 20%. And I'd have to sit there and try to tell the guy forever, like, you realize there's some strains that'll never get above 20% that they're like, just like naturally like 13 to 17%. And there's nothing wrong with them. That's just like naturally the THC potency. And if you, if they go above that, it's probably not actually that genetic. It's probably something else. And they still just like never got it. But I was always around that of like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that like 15% stuff. And we had some really good strains. We had this OG that was right around 17%. And that shit was dank every time. And like, I guarantee you could smoke that and something that's 30% and you couldn't tell the difference because it doesn't, the potency doesn't matter. It was all just about the, you know, the whole experience really like you just broke down. There's a, there's a lot more to it than potency. That's, I mean, I, there's so many strains that have been lost over yeah. the years that growers just can't justify growing anymore. I mean, some of the best ones that we love that were out there, I can go on and on, even different profiles, like the cheese profile mm. that we used to see all the time, yeah, man, um, right. This, right? That you just don't see cheese anymore because yeah. it never really hit over 18%. Yep. Um, so we're, I, I think the market is losing and suffering. And uh, I understand growers, if you, you know, you're trying to sell a product and, the, you know, you're getting, you're getting the door shut on you as soon as you tell them the, the testing, then you got to go to something else, right? In order to survive. So it's unfortunate that, um, you know, that that is, is the direction of the market. And, you know, I, I hope that some of those strains are still out there. Right. I agree. Well, let's talk, you know, switch gears a bit too. And, and you know, you also co-founded the well-known nonprofit, the Minority Cannabis uh-huh. Business Association. And, um, you know, that's been out there a lot more now and now. And I think it's really becoming a robust, you know, group that you guys have put together there. So uh, tell us more about its founding principles and some of the good work you guys have done lately. Sure. So when we started uh, MCBA, it was um, a small group. Um, it was about three of us to get going. And then we brought on really dope people like who've made massive um impacts in the industry like Wanda James, um, like Shalene Title, who is really the architect of all the equity stuff that's happening in Massachusetts. Um, like my wife Jeanette Ward, who um who's the, the head of New Leaf Project that is doing a lot of great lending and grants for businesses. So, you know, we joined with a, a bunch of dope people um for that original board. And the initial focus was was policy was um, business opportunities as well as economic. Yeah, so economic opportunities. I I left the organization in 2017 uh, because I had to focus on business. We got kicked out of our first facility and I had to really just reset and get back into the grow room. But so that's why I'm a little blank on the uh, on the principles. But it was economic empowerment focused on policy, um, making sure that we opened up and lowered barriers of entry. The second was social justice and that people were still, you know, in prison and being arrested at high rates uh, like myself and like my father back in our day. And then the third piece um, was uh, medical opportunities and that the minority health disparity gap um, affects, you know, black people and people of color. Um, um, and they're primarily made up of diseases that uh, are, are very um I guess are are influenced heavily by cannabinoids uh, and and you know cannabinoid therapy like cancer, like diabetes, um, and a number of other things. So that was a real focus there is to figure out how we can you know make an make an impact in those three areas. Interesting. And so uh, they're still around today. I know that they're very active. Uh, so can organizations get involved as well as individuals, or how does that all work? Yeah, without a doubt, still extremely active. I actually have a meeting with the president um, 
uh, next week uh, to kind of talk about some things that they're doing. I'm still very uh, you know close with them. They're doing a lot of federal policy mm-hmm. work, um, very robust uh, at the federal level and working with a lot of policymakers to open up um, different opportunities uh, as well as other different states. So they're doing, uh, you know, a lot of great work. And um, I think that, you know, their their most important uh, work is going to happen when this with this federal legalization that comes um, there, you know, their their influence is going to be very critical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I really think it was the, you know, Minority Cannabis Business Association that really kind of came on the map and helped start to push them these social equity programs. And, you know, a lot of states even like, you know, California and probably some of those West Coast states. And then definitely I know Colorado, you know, ran out of the gate and kind of forgot a lot of this stuff. And it wasn't until the last couple of years that they've had to rewrite a bunch of rules and kind of put some programs in place. And, you know, some of that still kind of makes us a little disappointed because it's like the market's already established here in Colorado. And you know what? You know, there's a little bit of room to grow, but there's not a lot. And so it's just good to see, you know, the East Coast really start popping up and like New York, for instance, legalized. And there's a whole, you know, a program already built into their their regulations. And I, and I love that, you know, the Congress right now, they're, they're really trying to push a lot of bills through to, you know, decriminalize or, you know, make banking access better. And they're really tying a lot of, you know, this social equity stuff and, and putting programs in place for expungement and uh, really just making it equitable for everybody or even just accessible uh, for everybody. Um, not just, you know, these corporate investors and, and the same old stuff we've seen on the West Coast. So I really think you guys have been instrumental in kind of helping set the stage for, you know, phase two of what cannabis legalization is going to look like. And and especially once we pull the trigger on federal legalization, I think that, you know, there has to be something done. And it really should be the first thing addressed is, you know, the harm that it's caused throughout, you know, Jesus now 60, 70 years. Yeah. So Oregon also missed the boat on equity. We're trying to kind of come back and, and, and work on that now. Um, and there's so many organizations that have have moved the needle. I can name a few. Um, Supernova women have done a lot um, as it relates to o- Oakland and really being kind of um, the, the first movement toward equity that we all kind of saw. I think uh, minorities for medical marijuana have done a great job. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, even, you know, some of the organizations like like DPA have have played their roles uh, in making sure that equity um, gets pushed in states like California and elsewhere. And I think that it's important. You know, I think a lot of people and what is unfortunate and I think is common, but is short sighted, is that people look at at equity initiatives as um, only a moral thing. Right. It's, it's just because, you know, we want to do the right thing. And I think that's true, without a doubt. You know, we have to focus on that. But the other piece I think that affects everyone as well is that this industry will never get as large as it can get if people like me don't see a place for themselves in this in this industry. There always will be the legacy market. There always will be other places that are maybe not as safe, maybe not as quality, um, not as tested, not as, you know, not, not as many uh, different products to help to really solve people's problems. But mm-hmm. Um, if they don't feel comfortable in this new market, we will not grow and we will not grow or innovate in the ways that we can and solve problems, the many problems that will continue to face the industry. So I think it's without a doubt um, an overall sustainability thing, a growth thing uh, for the industry to make sure that we um, have meaningful equity initiatives and that, you know, they they have success. 
I agree with that. Yeah, one of the points we've talked about here in Colorado specifically is that when they first created all the rules for regulation and and really ran with it for the first you know five or six years was they explicitly excluded people with uh, like drug convictions on their record and felonies and this such and it really blew our minds of like those are literally the people that you should be putting first in line to to kind of do something to kind of correct the issues that have passed and it really was just a huge oversight that we've always talked about of like. You know, just to your point of like you're excluding a whole base there that could be a part of this. And not only that, but you're basically pushing them back to where, you know, the, the point where they got in trouble. And so what are you expecting of anybody really to like, you know, do better for themselves if you're just ex- excluding them and then telling them that their past that was, you know, caused by a drug conviction or something um, is going to keep you from being a part of this industry when really the whole reason it should have never been, you know, illegal in the first place. And so it is good to see some of this stuff, but like you said, I think that, you know, we have to send a, re- a message that it is equitable and approachable and accessible to everybody from the start, or you're going to start scaring people away and then not give them any incentive to even want to be a part of it. Yeah. Maybe the, um, some of those things, now that I think of it, that happened in Colorado, um, that weren't quite as equitable or, you know, kind of seemed uh, really crazy as it relates to those things. I think even if you had student loans or something like that, you couldn't, yep. uh, yeah, exactly. you know, pass through student loans. So I think that actually sparked a lot of the outrage maybe that um, pushed social equity as far, you know, as it still has a long way to go. But, you know, where it's a regular conversation at any legalization table. Um, was looking at what happened in Colorado, right, and being able to use those examples, um, stark examples, of, to be able to convince people to do different things. So, uh, yeah, it is crazy, and I think we've come a long way since then. And um, you know, I, I'm I'm hopeful that you know we'll we'll get to where we need to be within the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about one last thing. I know yourself and your wife, you started the New Leaf Project, and you guys have recently teamed up with Ben & Jerry's, as well as you might have another brand, Ben's Best, maybe. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, so when when my my wife actually stepped down from from Minority Cannabis Business Association, um, I think January of um, 2017, and I stepped down in December of 2017, uh, and when we stepped down, um, you know, she was having a baby, and I was focused on getting back into the grow room, so, um, there were a lot of things that we had to do, and, you know, we spent probably that first six months or two a year getting things ready, but we still kind of had that itch to make sure that we were utilizing our positive fortune in the industry, to, uh, to help other people, right, and to kind of build those bridges. So uh, we decided to start a nonprofit, New Leaf Project, that's focused primarily or mostly on uh, economic uplift and economic opportunity for business owners, um, black, brown business owners, but also any people of any color who have been arrested by cannab- uh, for, for cannabis um, use. So really targeting um, those communities and helping to utilize partnerships with the city of Portland to where they give us a portion of the cannabis tax every year. Mm, nice. uh, partnerships with not Ben and Jerry's, but Ben from Ben and Jerry's. Um, oh, nice. Ben's Beth, who has started a cannabis company. Large companies like Hawthorne Gardening. Mm. Um, companies like Cookies. Uh, companies, um, local companies like Loud. Um, companies like Wild, who um, edibles company in Oregon, uh, and expanding quickly. Uh, so partnering with um, government, 
primarily through cannabis taxes, the prosperity that they're seeing on cannabis taxes, and also through business owners who are seeing prosperity with the cannabis industry and figuring out ways to invest in entrepreneurs um, and career hopefuls, utilizing some of that prosperity so that they can see some of the same. That's pretty dope. Really, you guys have like titled, you know, the whole ecosystem together. And and I think that's really incredible for just, you know, and we always preach this of, you know, some of these programs just set up a program and then, you know, just throw people into it and expect, you know, them just to like figure something out. And we've always preached that these people need like mentors and they need guidance and they need funding. Really, the funding's like the huge part. And, uh, you know, if these programs aren't established to providing you that, you know, it's, it's just going to dissuade people from wanting to be a part of it because it is like you can attest that it's a very challenging program uh, just to even get a license and, and then to operate and, you know, be in compliance and then worry about funding and worry about selling and worry about, you know, packaging compliance and different things. You know, there's a lot of different pieces to this whole game and uh, they need people just like you to kind of walk them through it. So I think that's pretty cool that you guys took that initiative. Yeah, man. If you think, uh, if I think about it from the year 2012 all the way up until 2020, I had the goal of having a cannabis company, right? That was legitimate, where we were profitable and making money to where we could hire people and invest. And it literally took me eight years to get to that point. Um, You know, a lot to do with regulations, uh, a lot to do with changing regulations, a lot to do with barriers and raising money, mostly to do with raising money, finding real estate, um, building a team, uh, learning the industry. So, you know, within that uh, eight years or so that it took me to finally launch that company, uh, even in a a market with very low barriers of entry compared to other states, right? So um, even my, I feel like I have a lot of skills and a lot of value and a lot of things that have been given to me to make me successful at this level. And there's a lot of people who haven't been given those things, but it definitely doesn't take all of those things to provide value in this market, to give consumers what they want, um, to represent important parts of the demographic of cannabis consumers. Uh, so, you know, I think if we can shorten that time for, for some people uh, through the New Leaf Project or even just through being a positive example of making networking connections, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be, I believe that, um, I believe that, you know, we will have done a lot of, a lot of positive good and things that, you know, don't just make us feel good. It's not just about making us feel good or talking about it, but things that, you know, provide real value and provide a real benefit to the industry that we can look back on later on. So I think that's what it's about. I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, it just hit me right now, but like you're building a legacy of your own, really. And I, you know, I love that you put that in there because, you know, you are hands on, you are doing the work, you're putting the work in. And, uh, you know, if I go back to the very beginning of this, there'll be a book written about you someday, man. And, uh, you know, you, whether you write it yourself or somebody else writes it, uh, it's going to be a hell of a book to read because I think you, you're already inspiring a lot of people and you're going to continue to inspire a lot of people. So I uh, just real quick, you know, thanks for what you do. That's, you know, you're, you're a blessing to have in this industry. Oh man, that means uh, that means everything to me. Thank you so much. That's uh, you know, that's why I decided to leave corporate. Um, because you know, it's just I'm I'm working for someone else's goals, and you know, the ability to be in this industry and work towards it's just so rewarding, man. So it's uh, it's very it's easy. I think in a lot of ways, a lot of work, 
but it's it's easy, you know, because I'm I'm smoking weed. I'm about to roll up right now, <laughs> you, um, you know, and look at some emails and talk about some some weed stuff and do some weed business and <laughs> help some people that want to get into into weed. So, shit. I mean, I, I love that. That's <laughs> Life is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, really. You know, step back and admire kind of what you you've helped kind of create too at some point because uh, it's pretty amazing what you put together and and uh, what you're gonna put together. But real quick before we sign off here. You know, you've been in the industry for a while and, you know, we've heard, you know, your adversity and, and you're really putting in some work. You know, what's one piece of advice if you had to give it to a, you know, a small business or an entrepreneur just stepping into uh, their first business? Um, you know, if I could give a blanket easy one, I would say uh, know the regulations and get involved with the regulations process. I think, you know, definitely they need to know that. But I think maybe if I go a little bit more advanced um, and I think that people are coming into the market, you've got to know more than regulations if you're going to be successful. Right. Um, maybe you can get that license knowing the regulations, but the industry's more mature now. There's bigger players. You got to know what to do. And really, I would say whoever your customer is, whether it's a retailer, whether it is an actual consumer, whether it is um uh, cultivation facility, no matter what, um, understand, take the time to understand what value you can really bring them, um, what you can do that is going to solve their pains, that is going to help them to get to where they need to go. If it's a retailer, how can you bring more people to their dispensary? How can you make them hot? How can you make people talk about them? How can you help to differentiate them from the crowd, if it's a cultivator, how can you help them to grow better? How can you help them to improve their team? There's there's just so much, people are at a mad race in this industry right now to um, to build a business and to you know build their dreams. And there's so much value to, cre- to be able to create because there's so far for people to go and so many problems that they have to figure out. So if you can focus not just on growing that plant, not just on selling that bud, but on what are the the things that are keeping my customer up at night or the things that they want to be able to improve to, to, to solve their goals or you don't understand what their goals are, then um, you're missing and you need to be figuring out what those things are and formulating your business and your proposition around that. Because if it's just growing weed, you know, maybe 10 years ago, if you grow it, it'll sell. Um, and maybe in some places that's true uh, still, but in most places it's not. You've got to have a value proposition. You've got to solve problems just like in any other business. And there's a lot of problems to be solved. So that's a great thing for anybody who's coming in here um, and maybe feels a little bit frustrated because of licensing or because, you know, the industry's already so mature. It is not mature. Um, there are a lot of things that need uh, improvement and uh, we need people and innovation and people who want to focus on those things in order to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Absolutely. solid. That's solid, man. And like, you're all in on this. You're, you're all in, you know, and I think that's what sets you apart is you 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 have those value propositions clearly defined and, and you went all for it. So I could see it already, you know, with your advice, you're already putting it into action. So good stuff right there, my man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, Jesse. Well, we have one final question for you. We are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? Um, both. Of course. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> I, already know if I like that. I'm pretty much always both. 
I, I think you always are. Lit. I'm always lit. I'm not always lucid. But I'm always lit. <laughs> right? Yeah. You got that engineer side, man. Yeah. So you got to like, you got to put that brain to you're work. Thinking. I love it. Yeah. You're a thinking man. But you're right. an innovator for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jesse, for sharing your passion of the plant with us, as well as a little bit more about Loud. If you guys are in Oregon, definitely check them out. Go to their website. Check out their Instagram. Go get lit with Jesse. He's got some really good weed for you. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm really excited. Happy to be here. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for coming on again and sharing your story. And we can't wait, wait to see kind of, you know, you keep carving this path for yourself and can't wait to see you here in a, in a few years. Likewise, <laughs> likewise. I can't wait to be back on in a few years. Hell yeah. All right, you guys, with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters.